0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Hey everybody, how are you? Good. That sounds like middling good. Um... I just want to get this off my chest. Like, normally I stand there, and poor Nikki. like, I, got, I saw Nikki panic and sort of disappear off to send me a text message, and actually I was standing just behind uh, the students this morning, and I, I don't often get to actually worship in the middle of everybody. I'm normally standing at the front of everybody and hearing everybody's behind me, and actually to stand in the middle of you all and to worship kind of with you rather than in front of you was just a really special amazing thing this morning so and um uh, you're pretty good you lot over there you you give it some beans so so um so well done so i'm speaking on the becoming series the second part of the becoming series pete kind of did the first part last week and um i had this whole brilliant talk well i thought it was brilliant talk uh, that i that i've written and, and just I want to. Well, I may go a bit off-piste. Is what I'm apologising for in advance. Just because I just I just encountered God this morning, just in a really amazing way, just worshiping and and. It's so interesting the word that Adam had because it kind of ties into really what's on my heart in the middle of the talk. So you, you, don't worry, you'll get the, the talk. But if I go a little bit off piste, it's because I, with this particular topic, it's so easy to, for it to become heavy and intense. And I don't want it to become intense because you know God loves us and he's for us and he's with us. So anyway, it's so the second part of the, so that's my disclaimer at the beginning. Um, so we're in the second week of this becoming series, and the reality and uh, it's really about how we become more like Jesus. And the reality is we become more like Jesus through a combination of God's work in us, or God's effort, our effort and uh, the effort of the people around us. And there's this fantastic diamond that's going to come up on the screen just behind me that kind of demonstrates what that is. And uh, Pete looked at God's effort a little bit last week, and this week I'm going to talk a little bit more about our effort. And I recognise that using the word effort in context of church and following Jesus can trigger all sorts of responses, most of which aren't necessarily uh, that helpful for people. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that becoming more like Jesus isn't something that just happens by itself. Really, if you remember nothing else, well, there's two things I want you to remember, but one of the first things I want you to remember is that we need to take responsibility for ourselves. Part of being human, part of uh, being a follower of Jesus is, of course, God does his bit. We're in a community, and we, but we have to take ownership of our own journeys. And of course, we do that with other people, but it's, we have to take our own sense of ownership of it. And we, we read in Hebrews 12 verse 2 that God is the author and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, because of what he has accomplished on the cross, we receive salvation. So whatever else I talk about, Our effort comes in response to something that we have received, not in order to receive it. But the point is that we are required to do something. It's important to remember, though, that he, God, continues to work in us. Paul writes to the Philippians that, and the slide will come up, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So God is invested in working in us, in changing us, in transforming us, and in making us more like him in partnership with us as we travel uh, pilgrim souls all together. He does it in cooperation with us. And later in Philippians, Paul urges us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, what many of you probably don't know about me is I speak ancient Greek well when i when i say i speak ancient greek uh, which is the language that the new testament uh, was written into uh, originally uh, what i mean is i had to study it as part of my degree in theology And actually I managed to pass my Greek exam and I'm so proud of that, that if you ever come to our house in the loo, there is my uh, letter from my tutor saying, well done Bill, you passed your Greek exam. I don't know who was more surprised, him or me. But it's amazing what a combination of looking back at past papers... and and making an educated guess about which which passage was worth revising, and then me and a friend sidling up to our Greek tutor and saying, we're only revising one passage for the exam, and this is it, to gauge his response. It's amazing how all those things came together to mean that the only passage I know in the whole Bible, word for word in English and Greek, was the one that came up in my exam. Uh, that's all a long way of saying that when Paul says in, uh, to work out, the Greek word for that is keter gazesta, And it means to fully engage or to fashion. And to fashion is something that we, we do, we're engaged in, we're involved in. And the implication of that, it actually requires effort on our part. And I recognize that in our culture, the idea of us doing something requiring effort or akin to works can be met with a response that it's all about grace. And my response would be, yes, it is all about grace. I totally agree, and we are saved by grace. Uh, In case you don't know what grace is, a great definition of grace is the unmerited favour and goodness of God. The unmerited favour and goodness of God. And I guess if I was going to explain it in terms that my kids would understand the way it works is this. If you came up to me and punched me in the face, please don't, and I didn't punch you back, sorry, and I punched you back, that would be justice, some might argue. If you came up and punched me in the face and I didn't punch you back, that would be mercy. If you came up and punched me in the face and I bought you an ice cream, that would be grace. Not only would you not be getting what you deserved, but you are being offered a gift instead. That's grace, freely given and freely received. But it doesn't stop there. One might argue that grace is actually where it all begins. So how do we spawn, respond to this amazing grace? Well, Paul puts it far better than I can and he said we respond with fear and trembling. I just want you to let that sink in for a minute with fear and trembling. That isn't hyperbole. Just If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, just think for a minute about what it is you have received. Remember what it cost. For he, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Until we grasp that the chasm between where he is and where we were was far too great for us to cross, we will never, and that it required him to come and step and become the bridge by going to the cross and dying on our behalf. Until we understand that, not as a theory but in reality, we will never get our heads around grace. That the creator of the universe stepped into flesh is extraordinary enough. That he walked, that he chose not to be born in, into wealth and royalty, but chose to be born uh, to a family in the way that he was is completely extraordinary. The fact that he then voluntarily chose to hang on a cross and die so that we could know life is utterly, utterly mind-blowing. When I stop and I think, you can hear the emotion in my voice, when I think about it properly, I'm just blown away. It feels like I've become a Christian all over again when I think about that that extraordinary and that extravagant love that did that for you and did that for me and our only response really or at least mine is to worship when I I think about that and not just with our lips but with our lives as well In the words of the hymn, Amazing Grace, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my my life, my soul, my all. Love so amazing, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Not, not because it demands it in an uh, imposing way, but, but that can be our only response to what happened, to what he did for us, for what he has freely chosen to give us who did not deserve it. And the more time I spend thinking about it and the more time I spend reading about it and the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I want to become like him. Not because it's part of a Becoming teaching series, not because I feel I should because someone told me, but because that is the only response that we can have when we spend time in the presence of the one who has known us and loved us since the beginning and has promised, come hell literally or high water, he is with us. So let's talk about what that might look like. Well, I think there are two things, if we want to become more like Jesus, there are two things that I think all of us can do. And the first is to spend time with him. Just spend time with him. And I know that that is, I know all our lives are crazy busy. uh, And busy in some way has become this validation of us. Busy isn't a validation of anything. Busy just means you're busy. And can we make an agreement, like, like, I know it's easy for me to stand here and say this, but can we agree that when someone says, how are you, our first response is, I'm so busy. Because, I mean, I, I get it, and I've started using full-on instead, but I don't know if that's any better. But, but can, can I agree that actually we are, we're, we're more than just being busy? It's not a medal. And maybe we need to come to a place where actually we are carving out time, So that we, how, whatever's going on, we have this core, this inner place of peace because we have spent time in the presence of the one who has known us and loved us since before time began. Uh, someone, uh, you remember, uh, those of you here at the start of the year, on the 9th of January, and I gave a talk and I said, what one thing are you going to do? And someone said to me, well, actually, what I'm, I've decided to do is get up early and spend 20 minutes in silence and solitude with Jesus. And I... And she has more children, so that, that means she's getting up sort of before Jesus, almost. <laughs> but that's a discipline, it's a decision, it's a choice. I don't know about you, but I spend my life making choices all the time. And it's funny, isn't it, how I... It, well, you can tell a lot about what your priorities are by the choices that you make. And I don't want to give anybody a guilt trip here even though I know none of us are going to say we're busy anymore, but we all have full-on lives. But how does how you spend your time reflect your response to Jesus, to the love of God? Because if I'm being honest, like this week... Uh, we, we binge watched uh, Screw, Was it? Yeah. on channel, which is Channel 4. Brilliant. Well worth a watch after you spent time with Jesus. <laughs> but it's amazing how we fill up our time with things. And actually, what about if we spend more of our time filling, filling up ourselves by being with Him? When I first came to faith, uh, when I was 16, my friends said, like a lot of them said, What's happened to you? You've changed a lot. And I think one of the most obvious ways that I changed having spent time with Jesus was, was, was which my language, which, which, even though I was only 16, was um, pretty colorful at times. And literally overnight, my language changed. I started speaking in tongues. No, 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 'm kidding. Um, my language changed just because, it, I don't know, it just did. It was just something that happened. I didn't have to think about Well, I did have to think about it a little bit. I was like, actually, I just don't want to speak like that. Then it was other things that started to change when I spent time, the more time I spent with Jesus. And obviously, when we first come to faith, there's quite a big, often there's quite a big difference between how we were and how we're becoming quite quickly. And then it's like this, the long grind afterwards. But um, how I spent my money changed, and money, just to be totally honest, and nickel t- is an area that, I, like, I'm terrible with money, and um, I think I'm better than I am. I better than I was, no. much better, <laughs> much better than I was. But how we spend our money reflects what we value. And I remember on my year out, and uh, I, I went and uh, I was doing this um, sort of discipleship thing in the states. And I went over, I'd worked really hard for the first chunk of the year until April to earn money so that I could, you know, really make the most of this time away. And there were some people on my, um, doing the same thing as me, and they just ran out of money. And I remember just this rest, internal wrestle when um, I just sensed God saying to me, um, you need to give all that money you saved to have a good time, uh, you need to give it away. And... It is I, 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 no under, under uh, exaggeration to say I, I, it was. I was. Uh, uh, it was a battle going on within, within me between what I sensed God, uh, not commanding me to do, but encouraging me to do, and what I wanted to do with that money. And I remember in those days there were things called travelers' checks. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but I just remember. That shows my age. Um, signing these travelers' checks, countersigning these travelers' checks, just. Two thousand dollars, just signing it away, and then just giving it, um, but I, uh, giving it to them, and just that sense of just ex- uh, it, it's just extraordinary. Like it should have been like I uh, just given away all this money that, I had and I should have felt miserable, but I felt amazing. I felt amazing because I just there was something about doing something in response to the love of God that was just so freeing. Sense of social justice that was kind of born in me at that time. Then it was the way that I saw things and I saw people and I started to talk about them. And that's what happens when you spend time with Jesus. And I guess when I have stopped and thought about how I have become more like Jesus, and I've still got, just to disclaim, many of you know me well, know I've got a long, long way to go. You know, if Michelangelo is carving David in, out of me, you know, we're just at the kind of very, very rough edges, and it doesn't even look like a person yet. And it's not always easy, and sometimes it's costly. I, when I first came to faith, I lost quite a lot of my friends. Uh, partly because I was like... You know, kind of soup in their face. And partly because they just didn't get it. They just couldn't cope with what they were seeing and it, it, they didn't understand. And that was hard. Um, but it was worth it because while I lost some friends, I gained a family. One of the biggest decisions that I have come to is we want to be more like Jesus. We it's about who we spend time, we spend time with him, but also we become so think about this, we become like the people that we spend our time with. If you want to be a more fun-loving, life-loving, life-giving, Jesus-centered person, why not spend time? Find people who are like that, that you know, there's a room full of them, and spend more time with them. Now that doesn't mean we cut ourselves off from the rest of the world and form all our friends and become sort of monks or monkesses or whatever the female, I don't know what, the, anyway, you get what I mean. But it means that we just, you know, we, we, you know where our heart is, there our priorities are. Spend time with people who know and love Jesus. You know, let them fire you up as you fire them up. So spend time with Jesus. Spend time with people who know and love Jesus. That's why collectives are so important. And make it a decision today. Like, I, I, we once had small children. Uh, they are now bigger than Nikki, all of them. Fortunately, I'm still the tallest in the house just. But uh, I know what it's like in the evenings, but make, find that there, are, there is now a collective running on some Saturday mornings for younger families. Find a group or a prayer group or a collective or whatever it is that you're, where you're going to spend time with people who nourish and encourage that part of your soul because we need to feed our souls. We need to, and then nourished by spending time with Jesus and surrounded by people who know him and love him. Then we can go out and we can give the best of what we've got. To the to everybody else. So pray. Spend time in silence and solitude. And uh, for me, just being honest, I'm terrible at silence, and I'm even worse at solitude. I'm like a wild extrovert. Um, and before I got ordained, actually, I had to go on a silent retreat uh, with a whole group of other people, including one of my friends, Ash, who was even worse at silence and solitude than I am. And we sat there at breakfast, not able to say anything, just kind of, well, I don't eat quietly. Um, no, I don't. Uh, but, but in silence and solitude. And then what happened was my, I had a bagel, and I put it in one of those rotary toasters, and it got stuck, and uh, then it caught fire. And there is no quiet way to communicate fire. So it's like, fire, fire, fire! And my friend Ashley went, yes, Lord, more! <laughs> But the bagel is on fire. So, so silence is difficult, I get it. But give it a go. It doesn't have to be for an hour. It could be for five minutes at the start of the day. Just find a Bible verse. like one of The Bible verse that, well, that I use is, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me, from Song of Songs. Secondly, we need to consider, if we want to become like Jesus, we need to spend time with him and then we need to do the things that he did, that he told us to do. So let me read you out the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is so much in those words. Uh, You could do a whole sermon series on those words, but I just want to pick out, uh, and if you're anything like me, you tend to focus on, and surely I am with you to the end of the age, which is true and is amazing, and what an incredible promise, but I skip over this bit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So let's not rush over that bit. Baptising them, it says, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. If we want to become more like Jesus, we need to obey everything he commanded his disciples. And I know, again, take a deep breath, obey and command in our culture, not great words, but they are from the Bible, and they are true. I don't know about you, I, I don't like being told what to do by people. Uh, and I, I, I struggle sometimes to obey even the, rudiment, the most rudimentary things. So I get it, it's a battle, it's a war. But we do it Our response to this amazing grace that we've received. Because I think we don't like it because it, we feel it robs us of our autonomy our, uh, it, or it feels controlling or um, it, it takes away our sense of personal freedom. And yet this is coming from the one who loves us. He's not not shouting at us, demanding it in an angry, screamy, preachy voice. This is coming from the person whose love compelled him to go to the cross, who says that you and I are the apple of his eye, that he's written our name on the palm of his hand. It's good to remember that the one who commands us to do these things, loves us with an everlasting love. And what it says in Jeremiah is that he rejoices over us with singing. So what exactly does he tell us to do? Well, he summarizes it best when he's asked what the greatest commandment was. And his answer is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments, which sounds so simple and easy, well simple anyway. And in so many ways that is the beauty of it. Love him, how do we do that? John 14, 15, if you love me you'll obey my commands. And there's probably a whole sermon series we could do on what the things that Jesus told us to do were. But here's a starter uh, for 10. This isn't everything, this is just kind of a quick thought and it links into something that we're doing as a church this year. You'll know this passage well. Uh, when the Son of Man comes in his, all his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whenever you did that for the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. That is why we are passionate about social transformation in this church. That is why, as a church, the fact that we are taking kind of ownership in this town of Cap is so exciting and important for us. One of the ways that you could love Jesus more is by talking to Anne Mather and getting involved as CAP is rolled out. The danger is this can all sound quite heavy and quite intense, and I said that at the beginning, I'm I'm super aware of that, but can I let you into a secret? When I've got involved in doing some of these things, I I recognize that I'm paid to do some of this stuff, all of this stuff, uh, and you aren't, but we can all visit the sick. We all know people who are sick. We can all stop when we see someone who's on the street and have a chat to them and offer to buy them a coffee or to buy them a sandwich? Maybe we c- I, I've been to prison. Well, no. <laughs> I've visited prison. Uh, in fact, just a little aside, I went... Years ago, I went to Portland and there's a Young Offenders Institute and I'm sat around. I was probably in my early 20s, probably the same age as some of you guys over there. And uh, I was sat in the drug unit and... Um, this guy looks at me and he says, um, "You ever done drugs?" Uh, and I said, um, "No." And he said, "Oh, you look like a total smackhead." <laughs> uh, and it was like, I looked like a smackhead. Apparently, most of the winter I get paid anyway. But it's amazing, little side story. But it's amazing how when you go into prison, it's funny. The most imprisoned, incarcerated people—some of the people who have done the worst things imaginable. I have encountered Jesus in prisons in a way that I have not encountered him anywhere else ever. It is extraordinary. So if you get the opportunity to go on a prison visit or get involved in prison work or with ex-offenders through an organisation, rather than just off your own back, you meet someone who's an ex murderer, you say, oh, I'll hang out with you. Um, uh, Do it. It's really worth doing it because, you know what, there is just extraordinary life to be found extraordinary life to be found as we do that. And as we do that, we find we become more like Jesus. You know, often it takes us out of our comfort zone. I don't know whether you, the idea of walking up to someone on the street who sat on the street asking for money and offering their coffee, that I get that, that it would take, well, the first time I did it, it took me out of my comfort zone. But growth happens when we step out of the comfortable and into the uncomfortable. And that's often the place we meet Jesus is in that uncomfortable bit because he's stood there waiting for us to step out and meet him as he and uh, you and him engage with uh, people and when we do these things what i found is it's like we step it's like we step into the wave and start surfing little scary but huge amount of life to be found there I just want to go back to uh, Pete's analogy last week. It is all about grace. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. We aren't saved by doing these things. We don't earn, God doesn't love you any more or any less if you do these things. He doesn't say, oh, you know, look at him. He's a special one, that one, Bill. It's a he loves me because he loves me because he loves me. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Nothing you can do or not do, good or bad, is going to make him love you anymore. But when we encounter his love for us, when we encounter his goodness, when we encounter his presence, that is the only response that I can think is that we will want to spend time with him I and mean, we will want to do the things that he has commanded us. To do. We feel this fire beginning to burn in us. None of it is rocket science, but it does require a decision. Requires a decision. Just this is a bit where I get really honest. Um, I think probably over the last couple of years it's just been really intense I mean I, I don't know about anybody else but I've found it really intense and there has just been so much need and there has been so much hurt and you know I buried more people last year than I buried in my entire life as a pastor before I experienced things last year I never want anybody else to experience and I would never wish upon anybody and you know in the middle of that it's just easy to lose sight of Jesus. You know, we're all kind of, at least I was, slightly in survival mode, in like, you know, how the heck are we, am I going to get through this? How am I going to pastor a church through this? Put my own feelings to one side as best I could, didn't do a great job of that. Head down, charge for the line, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I just kind of lost sight of Jesus, not completely, but but enough. So I know how easy, and I'm paid to spend. You know, I'm I'm paid to pray. So I know how easy it is to lose sight of Him, and that's why there is never. You'll never hear from me any sense of condemnation. for not spending time with him. For, you'll, yeah. I want to be really clear about that. But, do you know what? At the start of this year, you remember I started talking about what one thing are you going to do? I said, do you know what? I'm going to absolutely come hell or high water, I'm going to prioritize spending time in his presence. And I've tried my best to do that, tried my best. Not, not because I felt I had to, but because I wanted to. Because I, I, I want to burn brightly. And I'm looking at you guys, you want to burn brightly too, right? You want to have an impact on the people around you. And you, you can't give what you don't have. And so I prioritized spending time with Jesus spending a little bit of time in silence and solitude. Not too much, but a little bit. And it's extraordinary the difference that it has made. I just feel like i sort of found faith all over again. Now, I may just be speaking to one person who kind of is where I've been. I may be speaking to lots of people, I don't know. But I just wanted to be honest about it. Because I believe that God is here this morning Because he wants us to encounter him again. He wants to swallow us up in his love and his goodness and his kindness. He wants, what was the word you used, Ad? What was the phrase you used? That word you had? The one who knows you most loves you best. And he wants you to know that this morning. Because when we experience that, when we are reminded of that, not just as a feeling, but as a revelation, we will find we become more like Jesus because we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, because he's doing a good work in us and he's promised to carry on to completion.